Thank you, Jeff, and praise band, and choir, and John for the opportunity to speak this morning. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis 37, and uh, if you follow along with our reading plan as a church, the F260 reading plan, uh, you've been reading all week what I'm about to preach on to you this morning, and uh, we're going to look at one of the most compelling stories, I believe, in the Old Testament. And it's a story about a young man uh, that God has devoted 10 chapters in his word uh, to this young man's life. And so anytime God devotes so much scripture to one man's story, we probably should pay attention. Amen? Because it means that there's so much that we have to learn uh, from this story. And of course, I'm talking about the story of Joseph, one of my favorite Old Testament stories. And uh, you've been reading all week about Joseph's life, and so this morning I'm going to, uh, if the Lord wills, in our short time together, cover uh, the highs and lows of Joseph's story, because Joseph went on an amazing journey, but he did not go on this journey alone, and, uh, and so I, I pray that, that just in our time together you would be inspired by how God worked in Joseph's life. Uh, before we read the text here and, and, and join Joseph at age 17, uh, you need to understand that Joseph comes from what you might call a, a dysfunctional family. Um, in fact, well, you know, if we're honest, though, aren't we all a little dysfunctional? I mean, if you believe that the Bible uh, teaches that we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God, that makes us all dysfunctional. Amen? And so uh, when you take a, a dysfunctional sinner and they marry another dysfunctional sinner and then they have a bunch of little dysfunctional sinners... Uh, that just makes for a whole bunch of dysfunction. And so we're all dysfunctional. Would you agree with that? In fact, let's just break the ice this morning. Let's get really real. And uh, I want you to look at the person seated next to you and, and, and just say out loud, you're dysfunctional. Go ahead, do it. That was, that was pretty easy, right? <clears throat> all right, now I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little harder. I want you to just admit to it and just say out loud, I'm dysfunctional. Okay, and then when I count to three, we're all just going to say we're all dysfunctional. Ready? One, two, three. We're all dysfunctional. All right, well, given that admission, uh, you need to understand that your dysfunctional family compared to Joseph's dysfunctional family looks like leave it to beaver. Okay, because Joseph's dad, Jacob, uh, he had two wives that were sisters. Process that for a little while, okay? Two wives that were also sisters. And then he had two other wives that were given to him from his first pair of wives. That is dysfunction, okay? And you add to that mix jealousy and envy and favorites and not-so-favorites. They would have been a Netflix special if they were around today, no doubt about it. A&E would have done just an expose on them. But Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. You need to know that when we jump in uh, to Joseph's story. So if you have your place there, Genesis 37, let's begin reading about Joseph. Uh, before we get to verse 3, it tells us that Joseph was 17 years old. Uh, t- tells us a little bit about his home situation and that he was kind of a tattletale. He was the youngest of his siblings that was born to his father's favorite wife. There's always a favorite, and her name was Rachel. And so uh, Joseph enjoyed a, a privileged position. But look at, look at verse 3. It says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, Joseph's dad, loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Some translations say a coat of many colors. Some translations say an ornamented robe. 
But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And so Joseph, Joseph was despised by his brothers because he was his father's favorite. Now, how many of you thinking back to your family would say, I was my dad's favorite? Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, the favorite siblings have no problems bragging about it, right? Yeah, I was, I was the favorite. Well, Joseph was his father's favorite, and his brothers despised him. So the first thing that we learn about the, the story of Joseph and, and Joseph's journey is that he enjoyed a privileged position. He was his father's favorite. And so all that comes with that makes up the young man that we see here in chapter 37, a 17-year-old boy from a dysfunctional family, but he enjoyed a privileged position. In fact, it said that his father made him a, a coat of many colors or an ornamented robe. And that, that Hebrew word for ornamented is pronounced uh, Gucci. No, I'm just kidding. It means, it means that he just was wearing a coat that was noticeably nicer than all the other uh, clothing that was worn by his brothers. He, he stood out in the crowd. It was obvious that he was his father's favorite. And it says that his brothers hated him. Now, a little bit further along in chapter 37, we, we read that Joseph uh, not only was his father's favorite, not only was he a tattletale uh, that we learned from verse 2, but he was given some dreams by God. Look at verse 5. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> How do you think they, they received that? It says, And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So there are three main reasons why his brothers hated him. Number one, he was a tattletale. Number two, he was spoiled rotten. And number three, he had dreams of greatness, and he shared them openly with the wrong people at the wrong time. Dreams are great, but you have to be careful with your dreams, even if they're God-given dreams, because a dream that is shared too soon may have a, a, a bad impact on those around you. You have to make sure you share your dreams with the right people that, that, that love you and understand you at the right time, or it's going to mean trouble for you. And in fact, in, in chapter 37 here, when we joined Joseph for the first time, I think that God was testing Joseph's mouth. God was giving Joseph a mouth test. He entrusted him with some amazing dreams, and he said, now, let me see if he passes the mouth test. Did Joseph pass the mouth test? No. He blabbed it all over the place to the wrong people at the wrong time, and even for the wrong reason. So God had given him these dreams, but they weren't ready to be shared, and he shared them too soon. And the result was his brothers hated him. And this led Joseph down the trail of betrayal. Betrayal begins when jealousy and envy takes root in people's hearts. And Joseph was about to make a pit stop on his journey of life. Now look at uh, verses 18 through 24 of chapter 37. They see Joseph coming, his brothers, 
and they hate him, as we learned earlier. So what do they have planned for their brother? It says, now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, he was the eldest brother, and delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And it says the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now notice that Reuben didn't want to spare Joseph because he loved Joseph. He just wanted to save his own neck because as the eldest brother, he would be held responsible for whatever happened to Joseph. And so he said, let's, let's not kill him. I mean, I know I hate him too, but let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into this empty pit. And because Reuben spared Joseph's life, that's why he has a sandwich named after him to this day. He was a good man. I'm just kidding. But they throw him in this pit. And, and so imagine, imagine that you're Joseph. You, you, you have this privileged position. You're your father's favorite son. And you're pampered all the time. And then within minutes, your, your fancy coat is ripped off your body. And your brothers, your own brothers, betray you. And so Joseph makes a pit stop on his journey. He was cast into a pit by his own brothers. And the Bible says in verse 24 that the pit was empty. That's right. It was empty of of hope. It was empty of help. But it was full of some other things. That pit that Joseph was cast into was full of hopelessness and despair and, and fear and betrayal. Have any of you ever experienced betrayal? You know, your friends can't betray you. I mean, you're, you're, I'm sorry, your enemies can't betray you. Your enemies can't betray you. It's those that are closest to you. In fact, betrayal is when those we trust turn on us. And it hurts, doesn't it? His own brothers betrayed him. Betrayal comes from those that we trust. They turn on us. There are three types of people in life. There are the with you's, the for you's, and the use you's. And betrayal happens when the with you's, use you's, turn on you's, and kick you's in the pit. And that's what happened to Joseph. His brothers, who were supposed to be with him, turned on him, betrayed him, and cast him into a pit. Now, we've all been in a pit at one time or another. In fact, I would venture to say that some of you this morning are in a pit right now in your life. It might be a financial pit, it might be a health pit, it might be a relationship pit, but all of us experience pits in life, just like Joseph. And if you're not in a pit now, maybe you're just crawling out of a pit or you're getting ready to go into a pit. And so you need to pay attention this morning. I'm going to give you some tips for the pits in your life, okay? Here we go, two tips for the pits in your life. Number one, use deodorant. No, that's not a, that's kind of an earthy thing, but... The first tip is this. This is all seriousness, all seriousness. When you fall into a pit, not if, but when you fall into a pit, when you're in that pit, don't allow the pit to get in you. Let me explain what I'm talking about. You've probably met people that fell into a pit and they allowed 
that pit in their life to begin defining them. It changed their whole life. They got used to the pit. They set up shop in the pit. And they gave up trying to get out of the pit or trying to make use of the pit. They just said, I'm just going to live in the pit. My life is the pits, and here I am, and here I'm going to stay. And if you've met a person that's in the pit, that's allowed the pit to get in them, they're pitiful, aren't they? They're pitiful. And, And they throw pity parties all the time. You go up and you ask these people how they're doing, and within seconds you regret your question. Because they they start describing the pit that they're in. Well, you really want to know how I'm doing? Not so good. And they start to rehearse the pit of their life. And and it might be something that they're going through now. It could be something that happened to them years and years ago, but they're still in that pit. They've never gotten out of it. They've never gotten over it. And they start to describe their pit. This is what the sides of the pit look like. This is what the bottom of the pit looks like. I haven't seen daylight in all this time. And before you know it, while you're listening to them, you look around and you're in the pit with them. They've drug you down into their pit. They carry their pit around and they pull people down into their pit and then they have pity parties. And it's it's really pitiful. So, number one, when you're in the pit, don't allow the pit to get into you. Number two, tip number two for your pit is to pick something up while you're down there. We all have pit experiences in our journey. And, and I found that every time I'm in the pit, there's something that I can learn for the next pit or to help somebody else that's maybe fallen in a similar pit. There's something that you can learn while you're down there. Pick something up while you're down there. God was testing Joseph's metal when he was cast in the pit. He was testing his metal. He was... He was showing him this favorite son, this, this pampered, soft son. He said, you know what you need? You need a good night in a pit to toughen you up a little bit. And he tested Joseph's mettle. And sometimes God allows us to fall in pits in life so that we learn something at the bottom of the pit that we would never learn on the mountaintops of life. And we need to pick that up and we need to learn it so that we can Use it when we encounter another pit. This is no time to whine, Joseph. Man up. Do the next thing. And I would imagine that Joseph was crying out, begging his brothers to let him go, and eventually he realized they're not listening to me. They're probably going to kill me. And Joseph had to focus on the basics of life, which in this case was his life. And sometimes in those pit moments, it gives us laser-like focus, doesn't it, on what's really important. Pits in life gives us laser-like focus on what's really important. And I would imagine that Joseph did a lot of growing up in that pit. Let's look at Genesis 37, verses 26 through 28. It says, So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let our hand be upon and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brothers listen. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him up out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So slavery is a half step up from death, okay? And because of Reuben and Judah and the other brothers' greed, Joseph's life is spared, and he is sold into slavery. Now picture this. 
A boy who was the favorite of his father, he enjoyed a privileged position. He was then betrayed by his brothers, cast into a pit, and the next thing you know, he is a slave with no rights, no say, no connections, no leverage. There he is, taken to a faraway land and sold to the highest bidder, which in this case was Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was an officer in the court of Pharaoh. He was probably very high up. He was a man of great wealth and possession. And so he buys Joseph and takes him home to his house to be his servant. So we join Joseph in Genesis 39 at Potiphar's house where he is desired because of his hard work and his attractive appearance, but then he's eventually discarded. Before we read that text in Genesis 39, 1 through 10, I want you to just imagine you're Joseph. Joseph, he goes to Egypt. He has no connections. No one knows or cares who he is. He has no status. No one knows who his father is. His only connection is his sovereign God. And that's enough. Amen? It's enough. Joseph's attitude as a slave reflects the fact that he passed the metal test. Because you know what Joseph's attitude was in the house of Potiphar? How can I help? I'm going to be the best slave this man has ever owned. He didn't stay down in his pit, continue to have pity parties. Oh, woe is me. He said, this is my new lot in life. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to use my gifts and abilities to benefit this man who now owns me. He dug in his heels, and he went to work, and everything he did, God blessed. Look at Genesis 39, verses 1 through 10. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. If you underline um, verses in your Bible, you need to underline that phrase. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. There it is again. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then Potiphar made him overseer of his entire house. All that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. He made him successful. Man, I could preach a whole other message right now about how Christians should work and how God could be blessing wherever you work, not because of them, but because of you and the way you work and the fact that you do everything heartily as unto the Lord. Not to men, but unto God. That's how we as Christians should work. That's how we should serve wherever you are, whatever your job. You work as unto the Lord. God should be blessing your employer because his employee is a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a whole other message. But Joseph worked hard. And guys, success is attractive. Success, isn't it, ladies? Success is attractive, right? You see a good-looking guy, and he shows some interest in you, and then you say, do you have a job? I still live at home with my mom in the basement. <laughs> but he got big dreams. <laughs> Moving on. Anyway, right? Moving on. My daughters, okay. Uh, but Joseph was successful, and all of a sudden, Joseph... Joseph started to be noticed, not just by Potiphar, not just by those in Potiphar's house, but by Potiphar's wife. And she is unnamed in the scriptures, but man, if Potiphar holds a high position 
in Pharaoh's court, you, you, have, to, you have to believe that, that Potiphar had a pretty attractive wife, and so let's just name her Hotifer. Okay? So Hotifer notices Joseph, and success is, is attractive, and so she starts to notice this young man's physicality, his ability, and she starts to desire Joseph, and she starts to pursue Joseph. And this was God testing Joseph's morals. You see, he had tested his mouth. He had tested his metal. Now he's going to test Joseph's morals. What are your convictions? And so this, this beautiful woman is doggedly pursuing Joseph, this young, successful man, day after day after day. And we won't take time uh, to read all of this, but she pursued him all the time. In fact, let's begin reading in verse 6. It says, Then Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So he passed the morals test, didn't he? God was testing his morals, and Joseph remained true to his God. How can a young man resist such a beautiful woman? Only God. Only God. The Spirit of God was with Joseph and gave him the ability to resist temptation, provided a way of escape for him. And day after day, he refused the advances of Potiphar's wife. And eventually, eventually, she caught him alone in the house, and he had to run, literally flee away from youthful lusts, as the Bible tells us. He, he ran. You see, it's easier to stay out of temptation than to get out of temptation. You just need to stay away from those situations. But if you land in those situations, you need to flee. Don't stand and fight. Run. That's the only way to get out. And so Joseph ran. He did the right thing, but he left his cloak in her hand. And so she accused Joseph falsely of raping her. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And Potiphar's wife was angry. How dare this young Hebrew refuse me? And her racism came out, and her hatred for the Jews came out, and she leveled a charge against Joseph that Potiphar could not ignore. He said, this Hebrew that you brought into our house has mocked me. And he tried to, he tried to rape me, and he left his cloak here. What was Potiphar to do? He had to send Joseph to prison. So he goes from a pit to Potiphar's house. He experiences success in Potiphar's house, and then those that he worked hard for, those whom he served, the one for whom he worked so hard and benefited so much from his work, casts him into prison. Joseph went from being desired to being discarded. I asked you before if you'd ever been betrayed. Have you ever been used? It's painful, isn't it? Joseph was used. He benefited them, and then when he could no longer benefit them, he was discarded. 
Well, then we join Joseph in prison over in Genesis chapter 40. Joseph goes to prison. And here there will be some forgotten favors in Joseph's life. You know, before I read how God blessed Joseph in prison, I want to point something out about this young man. At every bend in the road of Joseph's life, he had an opportunity to be bitter. At every bend. When his brothers betrayed him and he was cast into the pit, he could have been bitter. It could have changed his life. He could have just been a pit dweller the rest of his life. But he made a choice, right? I'm not going to be defined by my pit. I'm going to learn something, and it's going to toughen me up, and I'm going to use it in life. And then he experienced success in Potiphar's house, and then he was betrayed yet again. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And again, another opportunity to be bitter. Not just bitter because he had worked so hard and now he ends up in jail, but bitter at God. He's so far from his homeland, so far from the people that worship his God, he could have said, God has given up on me. God is punishing me and just been bitter. How many people do you know have walked away from their faith during tough times? Man, I thought because I was a Christian that life was going to be easy. And then my dad got sick, or then my my child died, or then I was diagnosed with this, or then I lost my job, and, and they just quit. They quit serving him. They just leave church. They get bitter. They're defined by their pit. Well, Joseph ends up in prison, and it says, before we get to chapter 40, look at verse uh, 20 through 23 in chapter 39. <clears throat> It says, Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. There's that sentence again. And showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Joseph didn't get bitter, right? He got better. And he used what he learned in those times of trial and heartache to honor God and to glorify him. His attitude in prison was, how can I help you? How can I help you? How can I serve you? And we learn from Joseph's journey that you serve your way to a dream. The way up is down. You serve those around you. And as Joseph served, God exalted him and blessed him. He bloomed where he was planted. Later on, Joseph was put in charge of two of the Pharaoh's prisoners, the butler or the cupbearer and the baker. They both had troubling dreams and could not sleep. Now, Joseph could have just not messed with them at all. That's not my problem. You have troubling dreams? Hey. I have enough problems of my own here. I'm trying to run a prison. But that wasn't his attitude, was it? He said, there must be a purpose. There must be a reason why I'm here. Maybe God has allowed me to come to prison so I can help these men. And so Joseph reached out to them and helped them. Maybe Joseph had read the quote by Zig Ziglar that the way to achieve your dreams is to help other people achieve their dreams. But Joseph heard that these men had troubling dreams, and so... By God's grace, he was able to help them interpret their dreams. And so they they told Joseph their dreams, 
and he helped interpret them. He did them a favor. And I believe that when God allowed Joseph to help these men, that God was testing Joseph's motive. He was testing Joseph's motive. You see, Joseph really didn't have anything to gain by helping these men, right? He was in prison. And so I think God was testing the why in Joseph's life behind the what of Joseph did. You, you know, sometimes we do the right things, but we do the right things for the wrong reasons. Do you know what I'm saying? We help somebody because we think down the line, if I help this person, maybe they can help me in return. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes our motive is in question, and I think that God was allowing Joseph's motive to be tested. Joseph helped these men in a selfless way, and he interpreted their dreams, but he didn't really expect any favor in return. He did, after interpreting the dream, one of the men was going to be set free and restored to his position as cupbearer. The other one was going to have his head removed from his body and be killed. And so he asked the one who would be restored, he said, if ever there's an opportunity for you to remember how I helped you in prison, would you, would you remember me? And so the man says that he will, but then he doesn't. Imagine Joseph's excitement and delight whenever the dream that he interpreted actually came true and they came and released the cupbearer to go back to, to being the cupbearer, the butler for the Pharaoh. Imagine his little hope meter kind of peeking in his heart saying, okay, this is it. I helped him. I interpreted his dream. I'm going to be set free. He's going to remember. He's going to tell Pharaoh and maybe I'll get released. At least I can go back to being a servant in Potiphar's house. And then a week goes by, nothing. A month goes by, Nothing. Did you know that Joseph remained in prison for two years because the cupbearer had forgotten the favor that Joseph did for him in jail? God was testing Joseph's motive. You want to be a blessing? You want to help? Will you do it if they forget about you? If there's nothing in it for you, will you still serve? Will you still help? And so in the prison... There were forgotten favors. Betrayal is painful, but being forgotten? Have you ever worked long hours, sacrificing personal time, putting your neck out on the line for someone, and then when that person that you work so hard to help succeed, when they actually succeed, you're kind of waiting around for maybe a mention or maybe a thank you or a pat on the back or some sort of a, a recognition, and then nothing? Every time I see those uh, award shows where somebody gets up and they get an award and they start thanking their friends and family, you know somebody's left out of that speech. You know there's a guy that worked really hard, somebody that invested long hours and, and maybe even finances in their name doesn't even make the speech. Being forgotten is painful. Being betrayed is painful. Being used is painful. And Joseph's favor was forgotten for two years Nothing. But God remembered. God remembers. And then we see an amazing thing take place. In Genesis 41, we read how Pharaoh himself begins to have troubling dreams, and none of the magicians or wise men could help interpret the dreams. And then the butler remembers. Do you think that was an accident? The butler remembers. 
hey, I had some bad dreams once, and there was this Hebrew guy in prison that really helped me, and he mentions to Pharaoh, there's help. Look at Genesis chapter 41, verses 9 through 16. It says, Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened, and he restored me to my office. And then he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, for they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is none who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh an answer to his peace. God remembered Joseph. And in less than 24 hours, Joseph went from being a prisoner to being in the palace of Pharaoh. He was in the palace. And finally, in Joseph's journey, there would be some recognition and reward offered to him. Look at verse 33. By the way, he interprets Pharaoh's dream to a T. Not only does he tell the Pharaoh that he's dreaming about a coming famine, but he explains to Pharaoh what he needs to do to prepare for the famine so that Egypt will survive. In verse 33 it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only regarding to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you up over all the land of Egypt. From prisoner to prime minister. In less than 24 hours. Nobody can do for you what God can do for you. Do you believe that? God is sovereign. He is the master of all things. There's nothing outside of his control. Everybody was stressing about who is our president going to be. The Lord directs the king's heart like a stream of water wherever he wills. God is sovereign. And because of that, we have no reason to fear. I think we as believers sometimes live like atheists. We say that we believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things and that we belong to him and that he has a purpose and a plan for our life, but then when something goes wrong, or when something looks like it may not turn out the way we think it is, we start to take things into our own hands and try to manipulate events and manufacture outcomes because we're nervous that, well, we think God's in control, but this doesn't look good, so I'm going to go ahead and take over and, and try to manufacture my own outcomes. 
What a big mistake. God is sovereign. He is in control. And Joseph discovered that in less than 24 hours. He went from being second in charge to the warden to being the second in charge in the known world at that time. He gets new clothes, a new ring, a fancy chariot, and horses. He has servants now. The servant has servants. Not only that, Pharaoh on the spot gives him a beautiful wife. Not bad for a prisoner, right? Not bad for a young man. In less than 24 hours, he is exalted. And it's in this exaltation that God gives Joseph his final test. And here it is. God tests Joseph's mission. He tests his mission. You see, God didn't allow Joseph to come to Egypt. He didn't give him the keys to the kingdom of Egypt to just enrich himself and to receive all the glory. He had a greater mission. The reason God allowed Joseph to be in the position that he was given was so that he could not only save Egypt, but that he could save his own people. And in saving his own people, preserve the lineage of the Messiah that would come to save the world. God has a greater plan for your life than just you. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. This was the mission that God sent him on, and and we see him come to that realization after he encounters his brothers. His brothers are starving, and so his father sends his brothers all these 13 years later to Egypt because Egypt is the only country surviving the famine. And so they come before their own brother to beg for food, the brothers that had betrayed him. And I encourage you, we don't have time this morning, but I encourage you to go through the scripture and read this whole story of how Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers and then he forgives them. Just like Christ, he offers them grace instead of judgment. And he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. You think that you sent me here, but it was really God. Let's look at Genesis 45, seven through nine. In talking to his brothers, he said, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. And so he recognized God had me on a mission this whole time. The pit had a purpose. Potiphar's house had a purpose. Prison had a purpose, and now I'm in this palace, and I have a greater purpose than just to enrich myself and to finally enjoy all this recognition and reward. It's to save my own people. And so he passes the mission test. I I, I made up a little uh, timeline of Joseph's life. It's It's called like a life map. I read a book back in the 90s by John Trent called Life Mapping, and he just encourages you to look back on the events of your life and just kind of draw a timeline just to kind of get a picture, an overall picture of what God might be doing in your life. And so I, I, wanted to, I wanted to show you this morning what Joseph probably thought his life would look like versus what Joseph's life actually ended up looking like, okay? So this is, this is a picture of what Joseph thought his journey would look like, okay? God gives me great dreams. I'm a 17-year-old young man. I gradually have success and fulfillment in life, and then I have a progressive realization of my dreams. Isn't that kind of what we all thought our life would be like? 
I'm young, I'm about to leave my parents' house, I have these great dreams and ambitions, and I'm just going to have gradual success and fulfillment until I reach the pinnacle of that success near the end of my life. That's what Joseph thought. This is Joseph's reality. What Joseph's journey actually ended up being. God-given dreams, betrayal, the pit, slavery, success in Potiphar's house, then prison, success in prison. I serve the baker, the cupbearer. They're going to remember me. Forgotten favors for two more years. And in less than 24 hours, he's made the prime minister of Egypt. And that's not even the best. The best is when he gets to save his own people from starvation and preserve the lineage of the coming Messiah. What can we learn from Joseph's journey this morning? Well, there's three things that I want to leave you with today. Just like Joseph enjoyed a privileged position with his dad, all of us are offered a privileged position with our Heavenly Father. Did you know that God loves us so much that to demonstrate his love, he sent his only begotten son to this earth to live a sinless life, to lay his life down so that you and I those of us who are filled with dysfunction could turn from our sin, trust in Jesus, and go from being a slave to sin to being a son of the Most High God. And just like Joseph was given a robe, a colorful robe that denoted that he was his father's favorite, you and I are offered the robe of righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus and you turn from your sin and you, you ask Jesus, to save you, he will cover your sins with a robe of his righteousness. And though your sins are as red as scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. There's a privileged position to be had if we just trust in the same God that was with Joseph on his journey. He promises us a privileged position. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We can go from being slaves of sin to sons and daughters of God. He also promises us, those of us that trust Jesus with our journey, he promises his personal presence. His personal presence. Do you remember the phrase that I pointed out to you? God was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. The same God that was with Joseph in the pit, in the prison, in Potiphar's house, can, can be the same God that is in you. You see, the Spirit of God was with Joseph, but the Spirit of God is in everyone who believes. Romans 8 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But when you trust Jesus with your journey, he indwells you with his personal presence and with that personal presence comes the power to live as Joseph lived to have the attitude of how can I help you how can I serve you others will recognize there's something different about this person I can't put my finger on it but there's just something different about them it's the spirit of God the third and final thing that we can have if we trust Jesus on our journey is not only a privileged position his personal presence in our life, but finally, a promised possession. God's plan for your life may not end up in a palace, but he has a home in heaven for you. He's made you a promise 
There's something that we look forward to, and that's the dream of all believers, that one day we'll see Jesus, our Savior, face to face, and we'll finally be in a place where there's no more pain, there's no more betrayal, there's no more pits, but we'll serve him forever. That's a promise that belongs to all of us. He said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, John 14, 1 through 3. The trail we travel may include some dark valleys, but we can say along with David, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can serve the same God that guided Joseph through his journey. The same God that was with Joseph in all the ups and downs of his life can be with you. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads, to close their eyes this morning. As the guys come to play and the praise team comes to sing, we're just going to have a a moment of, of invitation, of prayer. And if you're here this morning and you saw that, that actual life map of Joseph's journey, all the ups and downs, I would, I would venture a guess that you could take your life map, overlay it on top of Joseph's life map, and it would look pretty similar. Ups, downs, high moments, low moments, moments when you felt close to God, moments when you felt far from God. And I'm here to tell you God has a purpose for your life, and that purpose for your life is bigger than just you. God has put you where you are on purpose. He's created you the way you are on purpose. You're here this morning to hear this message on purpose because He is in control. And if you'll just surrender your life to Him, He'll help you, He'll guide you, He'll fulfill you, He'll give you a peace that passes all understanding if you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus with you on your journey and you are in it by yourself can I just encourage you to trust him today turn from your sin turn from your self effort and trust in Jesus and ask him to save you this morning say Lord I want to follow you what I'm doing isn't working I want to I want to quit doing my own thing and I'm going to trust in you for salvation. I need you to guide me on my journey so that I can live a life like Joseph on purpose. If you're here this morning you need to trust Christ for salvation, I'm going to encourage you as we start to sing for you to just come down. There are people across the front with Bible in hand and I want you to just walk up to that person and say, I want to follow Jesus and they would be delighted to show you how you can do that this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're in a pit and you're having a hard time getting out of that pit and you just need to pray. You need to ask God, what is it that I'm supposed to learn? How can, I, how can I serve my way out of this pit? And you just need to pray. I'm going to invite you to come and do that. The song we're singing is Just As I Am. Just as I am, God, I come to you this morning. Father, I pray that you have your way. Holy Spirit, touch hearts and lives today as we seek your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come if you need to pray.